0: Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you have them, this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in chapter 1 for a while. And uh, we're going to continue in our our trek through 1 Peter. The first 12 verses in 1 Peter are actually one run-on sentence in the Greek. And we are given punctuation because being the fine English readers that we are, we need some breaks and we need to know how things work together. These first 12 verses are really important. That's why there's a a major slowdown for us here because these verses are so important for us because the indicatives, the truths, are going to drive and push forward the imperatives, the commands of the scripture of 1 Peter, and particularly to be holy as Christ was holy, as God is holy. We haven't heard any of the imperatives yet. We've been dealing with just the, the indicatives, these truths that we are to hold on to tightly so that When the storms come, when the waves come, when temptation, trials, and persecution may come or suffering, we would hold tightly onto these truths and that we would endure in faith and by faith through this crazy world. Now, when you read these first 12 verses together, there is a cohesiveness that you can see within the passage that Peter intends very directly for his hearers to hear so that they're encouraged by this run-on sentence, so that we are encouraged from not looking to ourselves and, and dwelling upon our own circumstances, but to look to God, to behold him, to behold his work, and to behold the very fact that his sovereign hand is over all things and that he is working in and through our suffering. And he has been doing this in our life since eternity's past. Through the present salvation, through faith, through persevering in our faith now to enduring suffering and persecution. And what we're going to see this morning is that Peter doesn't ignore, nor does he pretend that this suffering isn't real or that it's not a big deal. He's not ignoring the fact that suffering is painful, and that it also can be hard to endure. Because if that's the case, then what's the point? What good is would that do anyone to just say, ignore it, and it's not a big deal? Those who would say otherwise are what we would call charlatans. They are wolves, and they seek to persuade weak Christians to, do, to believe a disgusting, false prosperity gospel Which is no gospel at all. Which is to say that is genuine faith in God in Christ. This is what they say. That genuine faith in God and in Christ will result in a happy, worry-free, pain-free, and materially successful life. A more softer form of prosperity gospel that's very popular today deals with more on the state of mind and your emotional happiness of being satisfied and happy in your own self-esteem and in your own self to be happy on the emotional side more of the these are more of the big head smiley guys that stand in front of large golden globes telling you that God's that God loves you and his love is about making you feel better about yourself and not repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ and finding your satisfaction, happiness, and joy in him alone. The more hardcore prosperity dudes put dollar signs on faith. They say that the more faith you have, the more you believe, then the more you can achieve in your wealth and success materially in this world. But the only ones really that are getting wealthy are them. But this is the kind of thing that sells. This is what's being sold all over the world, and people buy it because it never really deals with the real root condition of the human heart. It never goes right to the human heart. It never deals with atonement because you don't need atonement. You're good. You're all right in of yourself, and it sells because the human heart wants idols. We want things to worship. We want ourselves to worship, and we want things to worship, but what about the Christians in Afghanistan? What about Christians who were left in Afghanistan? What about them? What should we tell them? What well, should we say? The reason why your family members are being disappeared. Your little girls are being sold into slavery and your life has been completely turned upside down. You lost your job. You lost your home, all of your material wealth wealth and possession, and your church is now struggling to find a place to meet from house to house in secret because you do not have enough faith. How absurd, how foolish, how dangerous, how wicked, how evil. On the Open Doors USA website, they quote a Christian who's still in Afghanistan. And this is quoted from him in the, at, the, uh, at the end of September. He said, prayer is what we need most. For us, everything has been taken away. It will not be easy, he says. I do not know where to begin, but I will begin with encouraging my wife that there is hope for, her, hope for our daughter. His daughter was born on August 31st, 2021, the day that the United States bailed we do not we do this because we believe jesus is here and that he is alive so who's right the guys wearing rolexes and armani suits flying in g50s who do you think peter would what do you think peter would say to those prosperity teachers I think the old fisherman, the salty dog might come out, but we hear the answer to the, one of the most pressing questions to all of us and to even those believers who are suffering today in these very few verses to the answer to the question is why do Christians suffer? Let's look to first Peter chapter one and starting in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm starting from the... No, let's go... I was going to read the whole thing, but let's just start in verse 6. That's where we are today. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is where we're going to stop this morning. This is the word of the Lord. May his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy, inspired, inerrant word for our glo- for his glory and for our joy. Amen. Like last week, there is a lot packed in these verses. There's a lot packed in this long run-on run sentence that we talked about earlier. And Peter answers the question for the suffering and for the persecuted Christians that are scattered throughout Asia Minor. But he also answers the question for us as well, for Christians throughout all of history who have suffered persecution and suffered for faith, including the Afghan brother we quoted earlier and for his wife and family. What you don't hear is Peter making arguments that the prosperity preachers make. Instead what we see in verses three, for five, three uh, uh, we see in verses three through five earlier, he sets up this baseline for us. and that is God our Father who has chosen us before the foundation of the world. He calls us as our, calls us his elect through those exiles we are in this strange and foreign land. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that is being kept in heaven for you by God. That's completely different than the prosperity preachers. This is what God, maybe we should reclaim that term. Who's really prosperous if you're rich in Christ? Yeah, I agree too. This is what God has done, and this is what he is progressively doing in making sure that his elect endure and persevere to the end. This section of verses is all under, again, under that banner of that that doxology, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because it is, again, to cause us to look up and to worship him. Look at all that he has accomplished for you on your behalf. You are weak. You are finite. You are frail. You are fading. But in this wrecked and evil, wicked place with wicked people all around, but God through his power, through faith, you will endure for an inheritance that is nothing compared to anything in this world. An inheritance that will not perish, that will not be corrupted, and will not fade. This is why the prosperity gospel is cheap. It is cheap because it is offering you some knockoff of the real thing. Here, be happy in God because you have a new BMW. I have nothing wrong with BMWs. used to have one but for you to find your happiness in God because of what you drive or the kind of home you have or the kind of money you make. What Peter is teaching us through his implication is that is a horrible trade. So with this baseline being set of God's faithfulness to his people to endure through this life, he continues by teaching Christians the answer to the question we spoke of earlier, why? When someone is wrong, when someone gets sick, when they face Tragedy and death, opposition, haters, etc. We tend to ask the question, why? Why did this happen? Why would God allow this to happen to me? Why would God do this if he is good? And I believe that this is the natural reaction of a finite fallen being who lives in a fallen world, but yet we're still faced with eternal questions of why. I have asked these particular questions to myself in the dark nights of the soul. In the Psalms, you will see this over and over and over, and you'll encounter these kinds of questions. We sang one this morning. But here, Peter answers why. So I have three points for you this morning to see from this passage. First, Christians should expect to face trials. Second, Christians should expect their faith to be tested. And third, Christians should expect glorious results. And in these, we are going to answer the question as well, why? Number one, first, the first thing I want you to see this morning is that Christians will face trials. Peter is writing to Christians. He is writing to the church. He is not talking to unbelievers, and he's not specifically addressing nominal Christians, because only those who profess Christ and those who are actually living out are the ones who will stand out in such a way where they will face persecution. Nominal Christians will placate. They will bend. They will deny. They will walk away because they are nominal, and they have no roots, and they have no depth. But Christians who follow Christ, who believe his word is true, you believe God's word is true, you are going to be diametrically opposed to where the world is going today. And we're going to stand out once again. Then we should expect to face trials. I know this point is something that most of us have already heard before. But also know this, that suffering still will catch you by surprise when it comes. That's why we ask why. But Peter is telling us here, don't be surprised. Don't be taken off guard for what you've already faced and what you may face or what still is to come. Don't be surprised. He says in verse 6, In this you rejoice. In this, meaning we actually rejoice in the coming salvation, spoke of earlier, meaning we have an eschatological hope, a last things hope. We know that Christ is coming and he will make all things new and all things right. So we have this eschatological hope that the Lord is also guarding us through faith to give us that in, that inheritance and that we would persevere. So in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The hope is there. The living hope is there. And certainly as Christians, we rejoice in what we are being preserved, persevering for, what God is preserving us for. Because despite suffering, Christians know this one very important point you've got to remember, and that is suffering will not be forever it will not endure christ endures so two words to help us make this distinction though now harti greek for a little while meaning little short few not much almost none suffering and persecution strikes at us now in these days but only for a little while and why because it will soon be swallowed up in the consummation when Christ returns. All pain seems endless. And that's what makes people hopeless in the midst of it. But in comparison to eternity, it will be as nothing. Here Peter acknowledges their suffering. He's acknowledging that it's real, that it's no joke. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's so important. We must address it from the very beginning, but we're going to go to the very depth. He's not wanting to downplay the pain and loss. Remember, they are grieving. Grieving is what they are experiencing. They are grieving loss. They are grieving pain. They are grieving the things that have been taken from them in this life. One of our favorite preachers likes to say, pain always hurts. Peter said, it grieves them. And this word, being in the aorist passive, means that this sorrow and grief is ongoing until it meets its end. He now uses this phrase to describe what's not going to last, and that is these various trials the various trials, and he uses it very intentionally, he uses this word very intentionally because not all their trials look the same. Not all of them are as painful, not all of them are as hurtful, not all of them are as bad or as light. Some can be worse than others. And so we, but he uses this phrase, various trials. The word used for trials is, is used throughout the New Testament, it's often translated as trials, testings, and temptations. So you can, you can imagine how it's used throughout the scriptures. But in the New Testament, it gives us some of the categories of what those various trials may be. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, the writer is quoting from Psalm 95, and he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, on the days of the testing in the wilderness. Now the same word, again, tra- tested here are translated as testing. So trials to testing. In Hebrews chapter three here, were taken back by the writer to Israel when they are sojourners and when they are exiles wandering in the desert, waiting for their future inheritance. Now isn't this very close to what just des- how Peter has described? the Christians who are facing persecution as exiles and strangers waiting for their future inheritance. The trial here, the various trial, is being the stranger in the foreign land, being the, the exile in the foreign land and yet still having to endure. The word is used again uh, by Jesus in Luke eighteen thirteen. Luke 18, 13, in the parable of the sower, it says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in times of testing, they fall away. There's some connections, again, to our, to our passage as well. See how close joy and testing are, are put together but this time in in Luke, it's the initial joy, but that joy doesn't last because they're nominal and fades and decays when testing comes. Peter says it's the exact opposite, that through trials and testing, your joy doesn't fade, but that it becomes inexpressible joy. It increases. So enduring trials is an indicator of our status in Christ. In Matthew 13, in the, uh, uh, the same reference back to the parable of the sower, Jesus explains that these people do not endure because they cannot withstand verbal attacks. They cannot withstand the harsh words that are used uh, against them. The trials here, uh, here is facing verbal attacks and pressure. So the various trial here is facing attack and verbal attacks in particular from Matthew. Another usage is in Galatians chapter 4, 13 through 14. Paul says, you know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. Now, Paul speaking of his own suffering that he faced in Galatia. He was beaten and he was dragged out of the city and out of that, out of the different towns and cities. And though he was alive, he was severely injured, and that attack of the of him left the church in Galatia in fear. But even in that fear, they still, as Paul commends them, that they did not abandoned them, and that fear was serving as a trial to them. These, this various trial here is physical pain, the physical pain and suffering that Christians might endure, but also the emotional trauma that the churches face when we see brothers and sisters around the world face persecution and suffer. And lastly, I want us to consider the use of the word in Matthew 26, where Peter himself knew intimately this trial when he was in the garden with Jesus. In verse 40, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Here the word is translated temptation, which is actually more often translated as temptation than the others. And Jesus is speaking directly to Peter, and the temptation for him was to sleep. But more specifically, this temptation was a spiritual attack on them, and this is why Jesus woke them up to stay awake and pray. These are what Peter means by various trials that we are exiles and strangers, these verbal attacks and physical attacks and spiritual attacks. These are the kind of trials that we should expect However, no matter the trial, no matter the testing, no matter the temptation that we may face, no matter what direction that it may come from, and no matter what it may look like, the truth is the same, that in a fallen world, Christians will experience suffering and persecution. It doesn't always look like the experience of faithful brothers and sisters recorded in Fox's books, a book of martyrs of torture and death, it may come in small pokes and prods, spiritual attacks, and passive-aggressive comments. Hopefully, none of us will have to face unjust suffering for our faith. Hopefully, none of us will have to suffer abuse or even in death or loss. But yet, in this post-Christian society, what once was accepted morality has been turned into shame and ridicule and called abusive. Therefore, if you believe in the Bible and hold to a basic morality, then you will be laid, labeled as an abuser or violent Merely identifying with Christ will possibly itself bring about suffering in thousands of different ways in various trials. We do not want to hear such hard truth. We don't want to be faced with it. However, isn't it the mercy of God to tell us? Isn't it his mercy to tell us from the get-go? And this isn't the only, this isn't comes close to being the only place where this is being taught. Jesus himself tells us as well. And if this is how they treat me, wait till they get to you. This is what Christians will experience. And yet we must remember all this suffering now is only for just a little while. It's only just for a, a, a little while. It's not forever. As elders, it is our job to prepare you for suffering. And through God's word, he is preparing all of us for suffering. And in this particular point, to not be caught off guard. However, let us, not, let us not also live jaded lives toward the world. Let's not hold back the truth. Let us not hold back love. But let's be brave and courageous as our Savior, Jesus Christ, who went before us and who set us the set us the example of speaking the truth the truth against hostility and setting us the example of loving our enemies second we see from this passage that Christians should expect their faith to be tested expect it expect trials but through those trials expect your faith to be tested look back at verse seven, it says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though is tested by fire. Now, the in the beginning of verse seven, that that little two words, so that at the beginning is extremely important because it's referring back to the various trials that have already been grieving them. So it's, excuse me, looking back to the various trials, they're being grieved by these these trials, and then he makes the transition with these two two words to show them the purpose behind all Christian suffering, that it is to test the genuineness of their faith. This is the answer to the age-old question, why? Because faith is being tested, and faith is being refined. Peter uses the illustration of gold. He uses gold, uh, the the way to purify gold into the purest, uh, 24-karat gold, right? Isn't that the purest gold, 24-karat, right? 24-karat, the purest of gold, where it's worth the most per ounce at that point. And when you melt gold down with fire, with heat, the impurities are separated, making the gold purer and purer. So faith being compared to gold is to be tested with fire, with with heat. It's the only way by which our faith is tested is through trials. Back in verse 5, Peter already made the case that through faith God is sustaining us, but now he tells us that suffering may be necessary to prove to ourselves and to others that our faith in Christ is real and genuine. Christian suffering is one of the means in which the Lord uses for our perseverance and for our assurance and our sanctification. So let me give you three important things that we need to know here about trials being used to test our faith. Number one, our trials are never wasted. Our trials are never wasted. Oftentimes, we're, we're tempted to believe that hardship and trials and even tragedies are just a waste and that they're needless. Now, certainly, I'm not advocating to, the, to a point that we should create this ministry of pain and then we should cause pain on each other so that this is how God sanctifies us uh, the most. That would be dumb. That would be foolish and stupid to make God to serve us for our pur- purposes instead of Trusting him. However, I'm also not saying the Christian cliche that God turns lemons into lemonade. That belittles the sovereign hand of God who has also made the lemons so that one day they may be turned into lemonade or also a lemon meringue pie. It's only in the hard. It's only in the fire that we are made stronger and purer in in the faith. I heard a, a former Navy SEAL, Jocko Will, uh, what's his name, uh, Will Willick, uh, speak to a, a group of, uh, of 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 a platoon of guys and women in a in a, um, basic training, and he said the reason why this is so hard because you have no idea what you're about to go through when you graduate basic training and you're really put into it. He used a few other words, but it, essentially that's what he meant. This is hard here to prepare you for what's coming later, and in that hard. You're going to be ready for what's to come. Good times are good. Good times are fun. Good times are encouraging. But in the struggle, it's in the struggle as individuals and also even together is where we are purified and refined. Each trial and test is by the hand of God to turn the heat up on our lives to purify our faith. What those who are hostile toward Christians want uh, want to do is they want to crush you. They want to destroy your faith. They want to use weapons to cut and to break and to burn. But the Lord is using it all to refine them. We read Genesis 50 this morning. That's the exact testimony of Joseph. The Lord uses trials as a surgeon uses a scalpel. None of us want to go under the knife. None of us want to have surgery, but when you do, it is because you need it. Or it's to save your life. And the doctor uses the scalpel skillfully so that you would heal and that you would be saved. The Lord is using our trials. They are not wasted. Do not be dismayed to believe trials and tests and temptations are only showing to you that God has forgotten you. Rather, it is the exact opposite. I'll close this point with a quote from A.W. Tozer. He said, when I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxiety maybe we need to understand the scriptures more because it will resolve a great deal of anxiety. Second, our trials are being used to take our hearts off of what perishes. In verse seven, we we see this, and yet it could be missed very easily. We see the economy of God on display, and in God's economy, gold is just about worthless. Do you see that there? gold perishes. It's it's worthless in comparison to what? To genuine faith. It's worthless in compared to genuine faith. Gold perishes. It does not last. As of Friday afternoon, the gold prices were around $1,700 an ounce. Gold historically has been the standard of monetary system because it's one of the most precious materials on earth. Men love gold I think women love gold more, and we crave it. However, as the rich young ruler found out, it's faith that is more precious. And when we are tested, our hearts are being redirected toward God's economy to pursue faith and faithfulness over gold. Because faith is what endures. Gold does not. Lastly, our trials will not crush us. Whenever we read in the Bible about Christian suffering and persecution, there's no little laughing signs or laughing emojis and says, stinks to be you. But it always exhorts us in saying, it's not going to crush you. It's not going to kill you. Ultimately, it's not going to destroy you. In 1 John 5, 4, it says, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's not language, brothers and sisters, of being crushed. That's not language of of being hopeless. That's not language of of saying that all of this is wasted and this doesn't mean anything. This is language of God's sovereign hand to purify us and to purify our faith that we overcome. Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is in heaven for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, trials may lead to a bad reputation for you. They may lead to pain, they may lead to poverty, and they may lead even to death, but this life is not it. Remember, we're exiles. Why press into something that is is just wasting away and fading and decaying? But we know that through trials, our Heavenly Father is preparing us because he has prepared an inheritance in Christ that awaits us, and that inheritance is far more Glorious. Third point to the sermon this morning is that Christians should expect glorious results. Look again at the end of verse 7. He continues, verse 7, saying, And so that you may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him though you do not see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls brothers and sisters beloved church of christ the results of trials and testing is so that we would be found during the final judgment to have been faithful And I believe it says here at the end of verse 7 that the praise, glory, and honor is is this is what God bestows upon the faithful. These are the, the merits that he bestows upon them, praise and glory and honor, like Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. Truly, that is something to look forward to. And yet we know that the only way that we endure is by God's mercy. And by his grace and by his power. All praise and glory and honor is due to him. So faith is being tested, faith is being built up through these through these various trials. And the results of these trials is to bring praise, glory, and honor to us, but also to the Lord. Peter is also encouraging them by the very fact that that their faith and that our faith is not based upon sight. Our faith is not built upon sight. Peter, of course, has seen Jesus. Peter has been with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He lived with Jesus for three years. Peter wasn't, ex- wasn't just an acquaintance. Peter wasn't a fanboy. He was just looking for an autograph, but he was a close friend of Jesus. But this is what he says. You have never seen Jesus with your eyes. You've never seen Jesus. And you have never been able to put your eyes upon him. But yet you love him. He's saying, that's faith. You haven't seen him, but you believe. That's faith. You do not see him now. And yet you're enduring in your persecution and in your suffering. And yet you believe. You have faith in him. I believe that this chair right here will hold me up because I see this chair, and I see the evidence that this chair can hold me up by looking at every one of you, that, the, that these chairs, it looks a lot like this one, is holding you up, then it's probably most likely going to hold me up, and therefore I can confidently sit down in the chair. That makes sense to us. That's very logical. It's kind of ridiculous, but it's very logical. However, faith is not in the things that are seen, but faith is in the unseen. And faith is what is in the unseen, and he says here that in your faith, yet you love him. We believe in him, and yet we love him. And he says, and we rejoice with joy. In that faith, even though we haven't seen him, this is why we're crazy. Because we have joy and we rejoice in someone we've never even seen. And it's a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The results of a genuine faith that has been tested or is being tested or will be tested is joy. The purpose of our suffering is to rejoice. How crazy is that? Post that on Twitter. You'll get canceled in a minute. It's for joy. So how is this so? How can I say such a ridiculous thing? Well, Peter and John, after being punched in the face several times for Jesus, they go home rejoicing. Counting it a worthy to be persecuted and beaten for the sake of Christ. And here's why because our joy is not based upon our physical or our emotional state, our joy is based solely upon the person and work of Jesus Christ, the promises of God, our Father, and the salvation that He has secured on our behalf through him, and we believe it by faith. That's verse 9. Because the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. You see, in this life, in this body of sin, there is still only this ceiling of joy. Meaning, we experience joy, I hope, in very different ways. We study the Bible, we experience joy. We we pray, we experience joy. When we're with our families, we experience joy. we're enjoying creation, we experience joy. And when we gather and we sing together with the saints under God's word, we experience joy. To me, Sunday mornings and our gatherings with you, as they are, There are little snapshots of heavenly joy that we will experience together for all of eternity. God's people gathered as one body, singing together as one body to the glory of God and being under his word. It's awesome. And it's so encouraging, and I would not trade it for anything. However, we still hit this ceiling. We hit the ceiling in our joy because... As it says here, it says our joy tends to be inexpressible. We, we can't get there in these in these final or in these finite bodies, in these weak bodies. We can only get to a, to a certain point. We just kind of hit this ceiling every single time. And it keeps us longing for more and more and more. This joy that is inexpressible. This is why we need the preaching of the gospel. This is why we need God's word. This is why we need each other because we want to be, again, the temptation is to lose hope. The temptation is to give in to these particular things into the world and to believe the lies of the world and not believe these deep, rich theological truths that they're not just ethereal and they're just for theologians of a long time ago, but for their us right now. They're for us right now. And so we need to preach these things to ourselves that when we're facing these temptations and trials and pain, we are ready to face them together so that we will have a joy that is inexpressible. We can't get there until, our, until the outcome of our faith is at hand, the salvations of our souls. When we finally see Christ, then our faith becomes sight. You see, this is why our faith is tested. Because our Heavenly Father is giving us joy. The message this morning, I have to admit, started out pretty gloomy. That we're all going to face, if you're in Christ, you're going to face suffering and persecution and trials. It didn't sound like any good news, but as we progress through the text, I think it certainly has gotten good. We will face trials. But with faith tested by fire, it would be more precious than anything else to the glory of Christ. As our faith is refined in the fires, the result of faith is rejoicing and joy that is inexpressible. I hope that this morning that if you are facing any trials, if you're facing any testing, any temptation this morning, that you do not think that I'm making light of your pain. On the contrary, on the, in the, as the scriptures have shown us this morning, we are looking beneath the pain. We are looking beneath the suffering and the trials. We are looking deeper into the things of the Lord and what God is doing through our suffering. If you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, then we can believe, you can believe, that the Lord is at hand and that he is working in you and that your suffering is not wasted. Remember what has been packed in so far. Chosen, born again, inheritance, kept, guarded, tested for joy. All for his glory. And all for us to look back and behold the Lord's magnificent work in each other as he refines us and purifies our faith through fire. Second Corinthians 4, so we do not lose heart. Rejoice not because you're suffering, but rejoice that in and through your suffering, your God loves you and is working to produce a joy that is inexpressible and found only in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We pray, oh God, that in these very serious matters that we have spoken of this morning, that you would dig the well of joy deeper in our hearts and let the living waters of Christ fill that well up so that when we need to draw upon it, we would be prepared. Lord, help us to believe that you are working for our good and for your glory in all things, that you are working for our joy even in suffering and even in trials, that our joy that is inexpressible now that we will experience with you for all eternity. Hallelujah. We look forward to that day. Lord, help us to trust more and more in your word. We thank you for it, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen.